Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. That's where we're going. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. I have to address a presupposition. Not so much for those of us who are in the room right now, but for the culture in which we live. So in this text, Paul never defends the fact that there's a devil. Paul never defends the fact that there are principalities and powers and we wrestle against spiritual forces. But we live in a world that is focused on nature and naturalism, not the supernatural. We live in a world that would deny that miracles could occur. And so if miracles can occur and didn't occur throughout scripture, then they're denying the supernatural. So they're in essence denying the fact that there are spiritual cosmic forces at play, that there's a devil running around with fallen angels impacting what happens. And so you need to understand where Paul's coming from as he's writing this letter to those who are in Ephesus. Paul, why didn't you defend the fact that there was a devil? Why didn't you defend the fact that there were evil forces going on? You just stated as a presupposition, Paul, don't you know this is a bad paper? My English teacher would have fun with your paper because you have a presupposition that's not defended. Paul would say, refer to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, which talks about being in Ephesus, actually contains in verse 12, the discussion of the handkerchief or the aprons, which Paul had touched, that were carried away to the sick or the diseased and the evil spirits left them and they were made well. In Acts chapter 19, verse 14, some of the strangest words in all of scripture talks about the seven sons of the Jewish high priest Sceva, the seven sons of Sceva. You remember that? They were gonna cast out a demon, but, but they weren't really followers of Christ. And so the demon said, Jesus I know and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And he beat them all up and they ran out naked, beaten up, destroyed. They were MMA'd to death, right? I mean, they, were, they didn't die, but they were embarrassed thoroughly. Acts chapter 19, verse 17, all of this became known and both the Jews and the Greeks, fear fell upon them and the name of Jesus was exalted. They burned their magic books. 50,000 pieces of silver worth of magic books being burned. Do you remember that? Demetrius then, the silversmith who made the, the, the little Artemis gods, the shrines to Artemis, then got mad because his business was gonna go away because all of these things had been challenged. They didn't need to be convinced that there were a devil or that there were evil spirits or that there were principalities and powers. So as we jump into this text, understand that there's a presupposition that our struggle is both supernatural and personal. And there's a presupposition that eventually every person in the Christian life will understand that the Christian life is a battleground and not a playground. So what is the main idea of our text? Here's your central idea of the text. Your main idea, your big idea is that in Christ, remember the whole book, he starts us off with in Christ over and over and over again. If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, we don't believe that you can stand against evil forces or your own sinful flesh because you're not in Christ. You don't have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. And so it's in Christ that this works, only in Christ. But in Christ, then we are equipped. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have his word. The word that was inspired by that same Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the power we have living within us if we are in Christ. So in Christ, we are equipped to stand against evil. Evil, the evil trinity. Against the devil and his forces, against the principalities and powers that we often refer to as the world. 
the evil forces, the world, that negative sense of that word, not the earth, not the ground, but the world, and against our own sinful flesh, our own sinful fallen nature that after we're saved, we refer to as the flesh. And Paul tells us, put it to death. What Paul is going to write to us here is to say to us is this, you can stand against evil in Christ together. Now, as we read this text, I, I often read text from a self-centered, egotistical, Superman, Captain America, Hulk, hero type perspective. I, maybe some of you do this too. You, you read a text and immediately you're the David in the story. You are the hero. It's the same way we watch movies. We're, we're the hero. When we read this text, what doesn't come across as clearly in the English language as it does in the original languages is that these are all plural. So what we're being told here is not that me personally, that I've got to strap on my belt and put on my breastplate, hike up my boots and get my sword and my shield and I'm going to go take care of business. What I'm being told in this text is that we, all of us together, are to put on our armor and in Christ, we're to lock arms or in the movie scene, we're to take that long shield and we're to lock those shields side by side and together we are to stand against the forces of the evil one. And if one of our guys goes down, we don't run away. We reach down and we pick them back up and we stand together and that togetherness is something you've got to get in this text or you're going to completely miss what Paul's trying to say here. He's trying to say to us that authentic, genuine Christian community, whether here at Cedarville or in the local church after you leave, we are locked arms in this battle together and together we can stand against anything. If you're here right now and maybe you've been struggling all semester because you just feel like you're alone and you're wrestling with your own sin in your own darkness and you're hiding it and the devil is happy about that, can I just say to you this text is not adding another burden to you to say your belt's not on tight enough. You didn't put the helmet of salvation on to go with your sword of the spirit. This text is going to say to us all, it's together. It's tell somebody about your mess. Tell somebody about what you're struggling with. Lock arms with brothers and sisters in Christ because all of us have issues and together we can stand. So let's stand and read the text. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. All right, you got to know how many times it says stand in the first section. There's four stands in these first four verses, counting the first part of verse 14. And then you've got to notice against. And then you've got to notice in the last half of it all the alls. So I'll try to emphasize those as I read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the shoes of readiness by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Dear Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of how we live a victorious Christian life in you, together, praying to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, we've got three points that we're going to roll through this morning. The first comes from verses 10 through 14a, and I've got kind of a Trinitarian outline here. So it's stand against evil in Christ. We're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about putting on the full armor of God, and then we're going to talk about praying always in the Spirit. So we start by stand against evil in Christ. So when you look at this text, I've got the text kind of highlighted for you so I can show you some things. You see there in that first verse, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. These three Greek words would have immediately pointed you back to Ephesians 1.19, where the exact same three Greek words, if you were reading this letter all at once, talk about the power and the might of Christ, so that it's the power and the might that God uses to raise him from the dead and then exalt him. So in your minds, when you see these words, often in the English, it just doesn't show up like it should when you're reading the original. But when you're reading the original language, immediately you go, ah, I know what Paul's talking about here. He's finally wrapping up his letter, coming to conclusion, and he's saying to us, that same power I told you about in chapter one, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted him above everything and put him above all these principalities and powers, those words are being used here again, and it's saying to us, be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. You're going to see that twice in this particular section of text. Put on and then take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against, we see the word against there, against what? Against the schemes of the devil, against flesh and blood, against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces of evil. Do you get the idea there's bad stuff out there? If you're here and you're just wandering through life and you're just like, yeah, today's a day and tomorrow's another day and the next day's another day and I want to eat Smarties and sweet tarts and live life and have ice cream and be happy and no worries and it's an amazing day. If it's, if it's Lego world for you every day, you're not living in reality. There's a roaring lion out there described as a lion and a dragon and a serpent that would love nothing more than to eat you up and destroy you. This is a dangerous world. And in this dangerous world, if you're just kind of walking through life, going down the roses, oh, there's a lion. How cute. Can I pet you? And you're dead. <laughs> I mean, come on, think about this world here. All of these evil forces... We see things happening. I can't believe somebody would do that. Well, why not? There's evil principalities and powers everywhere. Of course, we can believe people would do this. There's a war going on. Where's your armor? I didn't put it on. I don't need the armor today. It's just a Friday. Read the text. Come on. 
Be, be with me here. You, you see what I'm saying? Take up the whole armor of God. Withstand, stand firm, stand therefore. How many times does Paul have to repeat something to get the idea across to us that he wants us to stand and he wants us to stand against because he repeatedly uses the word against and he, he characterizes evil, the schemes of the devil. Against, it's actually blood and flesh, but that sounds weird, so they flipped it but it's blood and flesh in the original against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against all the forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we're to stand against. So be strong is passive. Now here, I've got to to address this, this particular point. Oftentimes we think about the Christian life is let go and let God. You do nothing, you let God do everything because God's got to do it all. You do absolutely nothing. But that is such a flawed view of the Christian life because what we're being told here is that there is, we can't do it alone. That's works, that's Romans 7, that's the eye, the me, and the mind that results in who will rescue this body of death, this body of flesh, this rotting corpse, but in the power of the Lord. Noticing that the Lord is our focus, he tells us as a group, stand firm, stand together, therefore stand. So what I'm saying to you is you can't just be laissez-faire about your Christian life. God's gonna take care of it all. He's got it covered. He tells you to stand. He tells you to take up the armor. He tells you to put on the armor. What does that mean? That means read your Bible, meditate on scripture, memorize scripture, surround yourself with encouraging people, put yourself in places where you have genuine, authentic Christian community, lock arms with some brothers or sisters in Christ and say, we will stand together. It's not passive. It's a passive verb because we're gonna stand in Christ and Christ is gonna give us the strength and it's in the Lord. It's not in and of ourselves. But if you're here and you think you don't have to do anything to live a successful Christian life, you you need to leave Disney World because it's a fairy tale right now. You've got to do something. Paul has already told us and has already prayed in Ephesians 3 that God may, quote, strengthen you with the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. These verses, hearken to mind, stand firm, stand. I think about Joshua, stand. Do not fear, have courage, be strong and courageous over and over and over and over again. We see similar commands, James 4, 7. Went through that a couple years ago. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. First Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. We see this. The put on of verse 11 here, put on the armor, reminds us of putting on the new self in Ephesians 4, 24. So he's hearkening back to all these different parts of the letter And he's saying, I told you, don't put on the old self, put on the new self. We've talked about that. So here it's put on, put on the armor, the armor being the new self, being in Christ. And we have to learn to stand against evil. And I would say to you that evil rarely looks like evil at first. Think about it. Think about all the movies that depict an evil trap and all of the evil traps look really good at first. Can I try some of that? It looks so tasty. And evil awaits when the trap is sprung. We learn how to be sneaky and conniving and scheming. And we don't live on this earth that long. And when you take a devil and his forces who have been on this earth a whole lot longer, they have thousands of years to study philosophy, thousands of years to study all of the theories of warfare, thousands of years to protect their craft so that they can put before you a treat that looks very tempting, whatever that treat may be. And when that treat is before you, little do you know that behind that treat is a trap set to kill you, set to take you down spiritually. 
It's evil. And we must be prepared to stand against it. Against flesh and blood, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of the present darkness. The word schemes in verse 11. Even the word schemes of the devil, as you look at that word, that word schemes harkens back to Ephesians 4.14. Carried away by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That word schemes in the original, methodia, method, rings out loud and clear in that original word. And you understand that the devil has a method to his madness. There's evil in this world. The word wrestle is here. Wrestle indicates up-close personal confrontation. The armor indicates a joint war that's taking place together as Paul mixes his metaphors like he really likes to do. So what should we do? Should we then focus on walking around and looking for evil? There are some that do this in our world. They think there's a demon that's over this area, a demon that's over this area. And if I go around, if I name all these demons, if I give them all names, then I can cast out all these demons and always focused on demons. I would draw your attention to the fact, what does Paul tell us to do when he's writing to the Ephesians? Assuming all of these things are there. He doesn't tell you to name them. He doesn't tell you to cast them all out. He doesn't tell you to pray for all of them. He tells you to put on the armor that is being in Christ. He doesn't tell us to have this fascination of the devil and his evil. He tells us it's out there. But then he focuses our attention upward, not downward. Because when we focus on the devil, we focus on the wrong thing because we need to learn to love Christ more. And as our affections are focused towards Christ and to loving Christ more, then we want to do the things of this earth less and we want to please Christ more. So then out of the joy of our hearts and not a legalistic system, we obey Christ and we display the fruit of the Spirit. When we focus on Christ and not on the devil, we don't have excuses for why we give in to our own sinful flesh. It's not the devil made me do it. It's, oh God, why do I have this flesh? Why do I have such a wandering heart that pulls me away from you? God, help me to have a passion for you deep in your word so that what you pleases you pleases me. And I long to please my heavenly father who has given me all of these things. Focus on Christ. Don't focus on the devil or on demons or on the world. The evil day, it's coming, so be prepared. Now, anybody ever run a marathon? Anybody ever run a marathon in the room? We've got a couple. I see a few. You people are crazy. Did you train for it? Did anybody ever just wake up one Saturday morning and go, huh, today's a good day to run a marathon. Let's go. Anybody? We probably have somebody. We've got one back here. All right. Young and athletic, that's all I'm saying. Um, most sane people train for things, no offense, no offense, no offense, minute, but most sane people train for things like this because it's hard. So here's what I'm saying to you there's an evil day coming, there is temptation awaiting, there are going to be hard times ahead. It's not an if, it's a when. And so I say to you, brothers and sisters, train. Train in a biblical worldview, train in your knowledge of scripture, train in your meditation of God's word, train in your hiding of God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Train and focus on the word because the devil is out there and he is waiting and he wants to come for you. And one of my biggest fears is that you will leave this place and you will go out and you won't have chapel five days a week and you won't have a biblical worldview and you won't have all these brothers and sisters in arms that are 
are focused on genuine, authentic Christian community, and you won't get plugged into a local church like you should, and all of a sudden when the devil comes, you're not ready to stand, and you get knocked down because you're hit by surprise. And I want to say to you today, graduating seniors or juniors or sophomores or freshmen, it's going to happen before you know it. Today is the day to prepare for what's coming in the future. Today is the day to be ready for what the devil's going to bring your way. Be prepared. All right, I got to move on. I'm having fun there, but I got to move on. Point number two, put on the armor of God, 14 through 17. You could spend a whole day here, but we won't. Stand, therefore, having fastened, you see the pieces of the armor highlighted for you there, belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up that shield of faith. We'll walk through these. I'll explain these a little bit more. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take that helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so often what we do in this text is we focus on all the pieces of the armor. You gotta have all the armor. It says twice, put on the whole armor of God. So what's the individual armor? Let's talk about what the metaphors are for. And we often talk about how Paul was attached to some soldier. So Paul's sitting here looking at the soldier. Now it's doubtful that the soldier that Paul was attached to or that was guarding him or that was in his same vicinity was in full battle dress, right? I I don't think the soldier probably had on the breastplate and his shield to go guard Paul who's chained. But it brought to mind what they would wear. So perhaps that's what Paul's doing. He's used analogies like this in the past, but there's one thing that I think we need to focus in on that I wanna make sure you're aware of. There's a messianic warrior in Isaiah chapter 59. And that messianic warrior, which I'll read that text to you in just a second. I think what Paul may be doing here is telling us you're in Christ and there's a messianic warrior that when you're in that Christ, that Christ is what you need to stand against the evil one. It's remember, chapter one, it's that Christ that we are blessed in. We are chosen in him in verse four. We are having redemption and forgiveness in Christ, chapter one, verse seven. We have an inheritance in him, chapter one, verse 11. We have a hope in him, chapter one, verse 12. We are sealed by the spirit in verse 13. In one sense, the whole armor of God is putting on Jesus Christ, his imputed righteousness that we are given at the cross, his spirit that lives within us, that gives us power when we are saved. That's the armor of God. When we are in Christ and flourishing as Christians in Christ, we can stand together against the evil one. So in some sense, this just tells you to embrace your reality or your identity in Christ. Who are you? You're not your job. You're not your career. You're not your sport. You're not your talent. You're never going to be your occupation. Those may help explain you. They do not define you. Your identity is firm in Christ. Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 20. Let me read them to you. Pay attention to what's saying here. I don't have it for you on the screen. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm, being Christ, brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Now listen close, because this is where I think Paul gets some of this from. Verse 17, Isaiah 59, 17. Write it down if you want to look it up later. He put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. 
We know Paul is familiar with Isaiah 59 because he quotes it in Romans 11, 26, and 27. So we look at this. We're not going to spend forever talking about each piece of armor. It's an analogy. It's a good analogy, so we'll talk about it. But we're not going to spend forever there. So you start with the belt of truth. Belt, actually not in the original language. It's gird up your loins, basically gird yourself up. Belt helps us define that because we put on a belt. We understand what a belt is. A belt helps keep our pants up so we don't walk around holding our pants up all day long, right? A weight belt you put on to help give you strength so that when you squat, you have good form. Or when you do things lifting weights, it's going to require extra strength. You have a belt there. A belt was a great place to hang stuff. Some of you... You may have a knife or a phone or any number of things that you hang on a belt. They had swords. Swords was an important piece of their equipment. They needed somewhere to hang it. I can't hang a sword on all this other stuff. I've got a belt. So there's a belt. There's a belt of what? Truth. Doesn't have a definite article, so it's a generic truth. So in that sense, it's probably twofold. That you have the truth of doctrine or belief and the truth of a heart or action. Truth. Boy, there's a key word for university setting. You hearken back to Jesus when he stood before Pilate. Pilate says to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what? What is truth? Oh, doesn't that sound like higher education today? What is truth? How do you have your truth, my truth, everybody's truth? You can't have your truth and my truth, if they are contradictory to one another and both be true. And their only universal truth is that there is no universal truth. And yet we put on the belt of truth because there is truth and we can know it with certainty. Truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, some will tell you that all of these are forward facing. We lock arms, we never look back, but the breastplate and the helmet actually oftentimes had a back to it. So those analogies that you hear from this, we're probably forcing things a little too much to say we have to lock arms. We don't ever go back. We always face forward. But you put on a breastplate. It's a breastplate of righteousness. We read about it in Psalm in Isaiah 59, excuse me. Probably means both justification, Christ's righteousness, and our own righteousness of righteous living, positional righteousness. If you are righteous because of Christ's righteousness and justification, but you're not living it out, then you're a conflicted soul. You are unstable in all your ways. You have one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock and you will not stand forever. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness so that we live out who we are, our genuine identity in Christ. We put on the shoes. Now in Roman times, the shoes were an advantage. It helped them to march farther, to go faster. They had these these nails is what the writers who describe them call them, but it's on the bottom. It's kind of like spikes, perhaps, your cleats. It's kind of like describing an armed force playing soccer with no cleats in wet conditions versus us playing soccer with cleats on in wet conditions. There's an advantage there. And so the shoes of what? Well, these shoes are of readiness. So we often think readiness and the gospel of peace. So they're to go forth and share. But we remember that stand has been mentioned four times. And so while we should share and while we should go forth, what he probably has in mind here is that we have on the good, ready shoes of the gospel of peace because we know in this world, John 16, 33, in this world, we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for God has overcome the world. And so we stand with good shoes on, ready to share the gospel. We take the shield of faith. It's important to take it up. This shield in the original language 
It's the large shield, not the short shield. It's not the little small shield that you could throw. It's a larger shield. This larger shield, roughly four feet by two and a half feet, this shield would go basically from the knees up to the torso so that when you were holding it, you were protecting everything here. This shield was set in such a way so that you could crouch down behind it so that when the enemy were were firing their, their arrows that were flaming, that when they hit, you could stay behind them till they exhausted all of their arrows and then you could continue to march forward. You could continue to push ahead. These shields, two pieces of wood put together, a linen covering over them, animal skin over the top of that, the animal skin treated so that it wouldn't catch fire. Around the edges, you had metal that had bound it all together. So these were not just a small flimsy shield. This was the real deal. This was a shield that would quench all of the darts of the fiery one. I'll come back to that. The shield. Then the helmet of salvation. Helmet, usually made of bronze or iron, really would have been heavy, uncomfortable. You only put it on when you're ready for battle. But he says, take up the whole armor and be ready. So he's saying to us, be ready for battle. It's coming. A a sponge type substance or something, cushioning it, some fabric inside because it would grow uncomfortable. The only thing that could penetrate it would be an ax or a heavy hammer that was slung. It's the helmet of salvation. And then we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This sword, the short sword, indicating a close personal attack It's the word, it's the word of God. We recognize immediately from the temptations of Christ that he quoted Deuteronomy. And in fact, he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 in one occasion. Every word, same word, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And in that, he used scripture to refute the temptation of the devil, the external temptation coming to attack him. So what should we be prepared to do? We should be prepared to have scripture in our hearts that we have hidden there so that when external temptation comes, we say, no, 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 that's not right. That's a lie of the devil. That's not truth. And here's the truth. It's in scripture. And here are the words. And our minds then are not conformed to this world, but they are transformed and renewed daily through the scripture to live the Christian life victoriously. You see how this all fits together, right? It's the word. It's the Spirit working in us through the Word to transform us so that the Word then becomes our shield of faith, our sword of the Spirit, all of these things. So how many of you grew up with sword drills? Anybody? Get your sword ready. You remember it? Turn to. Got it. And you read it. Teachers would give you a hard time. Where's your sword? You're walking around unprepared because you didn't bring your Bible to church. Now everybody just pulls out their phone. They say, I have 23,000 swords right here, right? It's my lightsaber. <laughs> Whatever. All right. I can't skip this part. I, I got to touch on it. The shield takes care of the fiery darts of the evil one. So application for you right now. Think through this. What are the fiery darts the evil one's throwing at you right now? It happens. It happens all the time. The father of lies. That's what you have to remember. The father of lies. Yeah, we take them personally. You're worthless. You're never going to be good enough. You're just a sinner and you can't keep it sinning. How could you ever do anything good for God? Don't you remember what you did? God can't use somebody that does the things you did. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. You're not good enough like you are. You're not talented enough. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. You don't look like what the world wants you to look like. What are the lies that he's telling you? And what's the truth of scripture? What's the shield of faith that refutes those lies and replaces those lies with truth? Because in reality, you 
are chosen. You were loved before the foundation of the world. You have been redeemed by the ultimate redeemer and forgiven by the judge of the universe. You have been set free. You have been adopted into the family of the king of all. You are loved and you are special just the way you are. And when the devil throws those lies at you, don't eat. You're not skinny enough. Devil, get away from me. I don't want your lies. I don't want to do what you say. You need to do things with this guy because you think he might love you. Guys, you need to do things with this. You need somebody because you're not good enough by yourself. You complete me. Jesus completes us. We don't need somebody else and we can't make them that idol and they can't bear that weight. So this morning, replace the lies of the evil one, the lies of the devil with the truth of scripture. Pull out your sword and start whacking away at the devil together. When those lies come, you grab your sisters and you grab your brothers and you say, listen, I'm struggling today and there's this lie that's coming at me and I know it's a lie, but I'm gonna need some help. And brothers and sisters at that moment, we don't look down on somebody struggling because let's be honest, we're struggling too. They're just honest enough to come ask for help. And we lock arms and we say, we will stand in genuine, authentic Christian community at Cedarville University. That deserves something, right? All right, I got to quit. Point three, we'll go through it quick. Pray always in the spirit, 18 through 22. You see the words prayer repeated. You see the words all repeated. You get the sense of community. Praying at all times in the spirit. There's where the point comes from. With all prayer and supplication, another word for prayer, to that end, keep alert. Oh, there it is again. It's going to come. It's going to happen. Are you ready? With all perseverance. All right, I wasn't ready. I got knocked down. Get back up again. I wasn't ready for how hard that was going to hit me. He didn't hit me in the way that I wanted to be hit. You're playing basketball and you go in the lane and somebody gives you an elbow to the chest. What do you do? You get back up again. You go right back in the lane. You get the ball and you go and you keep going. You get up with all perseverance, making supplication. Another word for prayer for all the saints, all times, all prayer, all perseverance, all saints. You get it all, always in prayer. Pray without ceasing and also pray for me. Paul doesn't pray for his circumstances. Would you guys pray that I would get out of jail or they would give me lighter chains because these are heavy or a bigger clasp or like think about the things we would pray for, right? Think about the things I would pray for. Lord, I'm your servant and I'm in jail and this ain't fair. I don't like it. I want my mansion on a hill. I want a cheeseburger. I don't want to eat this food they're giving me. I'm tired of water. Give me some carbonation. Can you guys just pray? I can have some carbonation today. That would, be, that would be the letter I would, that would be the text I would send to somebody, right? And here he says, what does he say? Look at it, pray for me also, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth. Oh, I can't share the gospel, I don't know what to say. Come on, words may be given to even Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, and opening my mouth boldly. You wanna know where be bold comes from? Texts like this. What does Paul pray for? Paul prays for us to be bold and for him to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You remember that word from earlier on in Ephesians? He's hearkening back there again, that mystery of the gospel, which he has explained. He's wrapping up this letter. Pray for me that I will be bold in the mystery of the gospel for I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Keep alert and pray. Nehemiah set a watch and he built a wall. Peter fell asleep and he denied Christ three times together all 
authentic, genuine Christian community. When you leave this place, you join a good, solid Bible teaching and preaching local church as soon as you can, and you be a producer and not a consumer in that church, and you find some people that you can lock arms with, and you charge the gates of hell, and you stand against everything that comes against you together. John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress, uh, if you haven't read it, you should read it. He describes this brilliantly in the fight with Apollyon. We don't have time to do it. Homework, go read it. This summer, you get bored, read it. You're having trouble standing, you read these. Or you can read that. Or you can read John Owen on mortification of the flesh. You, so much good stuff you can read. Luther, Luther threw his inkwell at the wall because he so felt the presence of the devil. But with Luther filling the presence of the devil, we can also say the words that Luther wrote. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. In Christ, we are equipped to stand against evil. In Christ, we lock arms together as brothers and sisters, and we stand against all the evil forces of the world. Oh, dear students, find somebody you can lock arms with, and in Christ, commit to be ready and prepared to stand here and in the future. Oh God, give us grace and give us peace and give us mercy and give us strength to stand and give us the perseverance to keep standing even though we may get knocked down and to recognize that we must try, but it's in your power and that we stand in the Lord through putting on the armor of Christ and praying always in the power of the Spirit for your glory and not our own. Amen. And you are dismissed.